Hello. Uh, this is the first episode of the Sober Atheist Podcast. My name is John Huey, and I'm here with my co-host, Michael Tingley. And what we're going to do for this first episode is to briefly talk about, for a few minutes, about who we are, what's our reason for being here. And uh, then we're going to go and jointly discuss why in the hell we're doing this, all right? So I'm going to talk for just a few minutes about who I am and where I fit in the world of sober people who happen to be atheists. Well, you know, my story started uh, in the sober world in January of 1987. So I've been around a long, long time. But to get to January 3rd, 1987, I had to go through a long and circuitous and in the end, very painful road. I drank from age 15 to age 38. And without going into all the gory details of my harrowing descent, uh, at the end of the road, I I didn't have another choice. I, bizarrely enough, knew that I was an alcoholic from about age 24, 25. Somewhere in the mid-70s, it became obvious to me that I was an alcoholic. And there's an enduring and lasting mystery in my story, which to me is, why in the hell did I drink for 13 more years after I knew absolutely that I had to stop? But I knew that I had to stop, and I did it anyway. And I went all the way to the bitter end. Now, like most people that get started on the road to sobriety in the United States, the organization I was exposed to was Alcoholics Anonymous. In January of 1987, there were no secular meetings in Washington, D.C., which is where, where I started out and still live in the D.C. area. And I didn't really have another option. So when I made my decision to stop, the only thing I could do was to go to a meeting. And I was very fortunate because I went to a meeting in downtown D.C., and at the bottom of the stairs in this horrible smoke-filled church room in the basement of this Presbyterian church was an old drinking buddy of mine who saw me coming down the stairs, and when he looked up at me, the first words out of his mouth were, what the fuck took you such a long time? to get here. And I didn't have a reasonable answer, but I sat down next to my friend, Brother John, who was a defrocked Episcopal priest, of all things, and settled in. And I just knew from the beginning, at least initially, that I was sitting next to a well-intentioned person who was concerned about me not drinking. He made that very plain right from the get-go, as did a number of other people I met early on. 
And as a point of fact, I was very lucky in a sense to be in a very liberal East Coast city where I didn't have hordes of fundamentalist Christians yelling at me about Jesus. That would have been a very difficult thing for me to handle. As it turned out, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, as it was written initially, was in fact a very difficult thing for me to handle. And even though I grasped on to the idea of not drinking, sharing, going to meetings, understanding what the word abstinence meant, and trying to be of assistance to others, which were really the the core ideas that I began to understand, it dawned upon me that the organization that I was part of had all of the characteristics of a cult and that people were expected to subscribe to things that were really unacceptable to me. It really came to a head one night. I actually, I went to a variety of meetings. I, I went to a meeting in a Roman Catholic church one Sunday night. And after I was, after I'd been sober for a while, I started going to this meeting on Sundays in addition to the place I went to during the week. And I was looking across the room as they were reading that horrible thing called How It Works, where they talk about God at the end, and they say, would and should if he were sought. And everybody in the room chanted simultaneously, would or could if he were sought. And what really blew my mind was I was looking directly across the table at someone who I knew to be a Harvard PhD who didn't really believe a lot of that stuff. But he was still chanting, you know, could or would if he were sought. And I had increasing problems with that program. And one day I was sitting in my office after about 18 months of doing this. And I was going to get up from my seat and I was going to go to my favorite bar in Washington and sit down and have two Jack Daniels or two wild turkeys with a Heineken back. Because I was saying to myself, I can't do this anymore. I was very, very close. So what I ended up doing was, instead of going to the Child Herald, the bar I was headed toward, I somehow or another went to a meeting at 5.30 p.m. that day, and I didn't drink, but I was right on the edge. And I knew that sooner or later I would do it. And this brought me to end of August, beginning of September 1988, when I saw a notice in the local AA newsletter that announced the first meeting for atheists and agnostics in Washington. That was the middle of September, 1988. And I went to that meeting and I was very, very lucky to meet the two founders of that meeting, the late Maxine and Tom, who 
basically showed me the way and gave me the impression that I didn't have to believe all of the tenets of what I was being told I had to believe. So, unlike many people that I met in the secular part of the program, and there is now a secular part of that program, uh, ad hoc though it may be, with many secular meetings around the country, I was given some degree of hope. And I understood from that moment on that I was very lucky that there were probably a lot of other people, atheists and agnostics, that had taken a look at all of these things and walked away from them. So that, in turn, after many years of going to my secular meeting in Washington, led me to a point where I, after many years of sobriety and getting beginning to get, uh, you know, maybe a little bit too comfortable with my sort of cushy life here in Washington and my travels around the world, that I uh, ended up seeing an announcement about a convention for atheists and agnostics in Santa Monica, California. And I went to that convention, and I was standing in the courtyard of the Unitarian place, of all places. They held that convention in Santa Monica. And I looked around the courtyard, and there were a couple of hundred non-believers who were also sober standing in that courtyard. And I said to myself, man, we don't need those people anymore. And that was really the second part of my atheist journey within the confines of the sober world when I made that decision. And for reasons that'll become very apparent as we go on here, it became evident that more needed to be done to make, shall we say, this kind of hope that I found from my atheist and agnostic brothers way back when, more accessible to more people. And that, in essence, is, you know, what's brought me here today. And I think I've gone over a little bit over my allotted time, which I often do. And I'm going to turn this over to my co-host to give you a little bit of his background. And then we'll sort of launch in to the topic, which is today's topic, which is We've gone into the who are we part a little bit, but the why we are here, what we are doing here, is an extremely important part of this whole thing. So I'll turn it over to Michael and let him give it a shot. Here you go, buddy. I'll give it a shot. Yeah, my journey to uh, accepting the fact that I'm an atheist um, goes back. My upbringing was Methodist here in the Midwest. And church and religion, all it, all it meant to me was going to church on Sundays. Uh, first of all, uh, polishing and shining our shoes every Sunday morning before going to church. And after going to church and just sitting through it, and I never really, it was like just a, a ritual that you just simply had to go do. I mean, it didn't make much sense to me. I remember when I was a kid, just never really thinking any of it was real. It was just this sort of thing that we had to do. And 
get over it and go home. And then, and we, and we did. We never talked about religion. We never mentioned God the rest of the week. It was never a big part of my life until I went to AA. You know, I, I mean, from high school on, I, I, I completely ignored religion in general. Uh, when I got sober, um, first time in 87, similar, similar timeline to yours, uh, 1987, my first attempt at getting sober, I went into a detox. And uh, that was my first exposure to, to AA. That's the first time I heard the prayers uh, spoken in, in unison, you know, with everybody holding hands. Uh, it was the first time I, I was uh, forced to think about, what was my belief? What, what is, how am I supposed to believe this stuff? And why, you know, why am I here in an AA meeting uh, praying uh, when this is something I've never really done? And, and is this really what I have to do to stay sober? And, uh, and, you know, I bought into it. I bought into it and thinking that, yeah, there was no other way that you have to just go along with it. So years and years of meeting, I just kind of sat through it and, and, uh, blindly followed the, the pack. You know, I held hands and said the Lord's prayer and didn't really think about it, but I just realized, I just thought it was again, just like being a kid in Methodist church. It was just something I had to do. There was no other way. And, and I, I, I bought into that belief completely even though deep inside it didn't it didn't really make any sense i always questioned uh, god's will how do you, i what do you mean god's will i mean how do i even know that and and aren't there murderers out there that believe that they're killing people because god told them to kill them so where's where's the truth behind this uh, god's will stuff and you know the thing is it was it was aa that brought me to that realization after, oh, 10 years of sobriety this time, I, I'm 18 years sober now. I was 10 years into it when it really hit me that, you know, the whole point of this seems to be honesty. Uh, and, and, you know, honesty is mentioned well, how many, 10 times in the, how it works. Uh, and, you know, I'd read that out loud a thousand times in meetings and never really thought about it. But it hit me that if I'm really going to be honest, and, you know, that's why I'm at a meeting is because I, I'm honestly seeking help and I, I, I realize I have a problem and I, I need help with. But, well, then how can I, how can I go along with saying the Lord's Prayer, holding hands and saying the Lord's Prayer, if I don't really believe that? It just, it just doesn't make any sense. So when I finally got to that point where I could say, I don't believe this stuff. It changed my perspective completely. And, you know, I realized that I had just been going along with this mindlessly, uh, wording these prayers and uh, the ritual. And that's when I first started looking for alternatives. And I found AA Agnostica online and it just opened my eyes dramatically to realize that there were other people on this planet who were fed up with holding hands and saying the Lord's Prayer because it wasn't true to them, you know? And that was a very significant turning point in my sobriety when I, when I was honest about the fact that I did not believe. And I never did, you know? So it was like, it was good to come back to where I had started. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to give myself some credit for doing these things and getting sober and staying sober and talking to people, you know, I, it, I don't think it's anybody else's will that's doing that for me. It's, it's me. And, uh, I appreciate finding that, uh, a agnostica and, and realizing that, yeah, we, you know, that there's a lot of people out there that need to know that they can get sober and stay sober 
without all that belief stuff. So uh, that's that's why I'm here, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're blessedly brief then. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, a lot more to the point and a lot more cognizant of a lot of things, I think, than I maybe am today. Yeah, it's it's great. I I was so perplexed by belief from the point of view of someone who was a committed non-believer from age 12. Okay. I was, I was real lucky to have a, uh, there, there used to be something in the United States called a liberal Republican. Hmm. I think Michael, you know, you remember that. Okay. There used to be some, my mother was an extremely liberal Republican. Yeah. Yeah. There were some of those, weren't there? Way back when? I mean, for the people, you know, you know, of a certain age, they're not going to understand what we're talking about. But yeah, there was such a thing called a liberal Republican. And my liberal Republican mom uh, was very open to listening to what a kid had to say. And one Sunday morning at age 12, I woke up and uh, my mom said, it's time for church. We're getting ready to go. Why aren't you getting ready? And I looked at her and I said, mom, I'm not going there. Okay. And she said, what do you mean you're not going there? And I said, I don't believe that stuff anymore. And my liberal Republican mother, I can't, she's been gone a long, long time. But to this day, I'll never forget her looking at me and saying, okay. And that was it. For whatever reason, I wasn't questioned any further about that. So I got lucky from that point of view. Later on, when I encountered this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, I was very perplexed. What in the hell are these people doing? What is this for? You know, I mean, I read that book and I read histories about them and, you know, the two of them and all the people around them and the other underlying principles and all of, you know, William James and the rest of it. I went through all that stuff. And it never made any sense to me whatsoever. I don't know about you, Michael, if it ever resonated for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea of, of uh, faith is completely different to me, for me. I mean, I, I, I don't think when I, when I hear the word faith, and, and, you know, I hear that so many times in, uh, in meetings, and I, it just did, if I didn't have that, then I felt, I felt like I was, ah, uh, I, I was, I felt ashamed for for years. I felt ashamed when, when people would say that they have this firm belief that, that they're doing God's will. I, I just, I, I felt like I was um, a fraud. You know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a yeah. real true alcoholic. <laughs> in fact, I mean, it's like, oh, I don't, uh-huh. I don't really belong to this cult. But I'm going to go along with it because everybody says it works. And, and you know, there's a lot of people that keep coming back. I see their faces all the time. Well, yeah, yeah. You, you know, let, since we're just getting started in this adventure of ours, I, you know, I just want to postulate that I'm not denying the fact that believers get sober within the confines of AA. Even non-believers get sober within the confines of AA, if they pretend to, you know, to follow the party line. I think a lot uh, more people are pretending than than they're let us on to. Right. Yeah. Well, they're doing it because of the group, you know, but to me, uh, the point of this whole thing 
was finding a true path for myself where I could live in in and of myself within the context of being a decent person within a society, right? Trying to not spread, you know, grief and misery wherever I went because of my alcoholism, but at the same time, finding a place where I could be self-actualized and move through life on my terms, not on the terms that someone defined for me. You know, I mean, I never wanted to live somebody else's life. I wanted to live my own life, which is maybe what we're going to try in our own sort of humble way to to talk a little bit about here as we move on down the road. What, you know, does that make sense to you, Michael? Yeah, I think it's important to encourage people to... To, yeah, to give themselves credit for for doing doing this, and and to accept the fact that you don't have to depend on somebody else or some other concept or right. You know, it's, right. it's yeah. I mean, it's it's right. a matter of independence and freedom, really. You know, and and self reliance, regaining your self strength. You know, so you can survive and and finding your 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 inner personal sense of Preservation and self-preservation is, I think, a big part of discovering that you don't have to depend on something else, uh, a, a higher power, a superpower, no. or whatever it is. You know, you can well, just depend on, you, you, on your actions and your your forward movement instead of just you know, trudging in the same footsteps as somebody else. Well, maybe it's part of it's finding the best part of yourself that maybe yeah. got covered over or papered over or diverted somehow when the obsession to drink and or use took hold, you know, uh, you know, that's the kind of transformation that I wanted to get away from. I never wanted a, another transformation like that, that Jekyll and Hyde stuff that happens to alcoholics and addicts. That doesn't happen to sober people. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I guess in in a sense, um, it's a blessing that we that we get to a point where we learn to to remove the veil and and yeah. well, see, uh, see well, clearly. You know, um, right? And, and yeah, there's right. a lot of I people mean, out there who, whether they're alcoholics or not, to still have a veil. So you know, I think we're fortunate. Yeah. In I mean, like the. the We've gone on this journey to try to discover that. Yeah, the the word blessing, I think, comes from within rather than from without. Yeah. All right? Yeah. There's nobody granting me my blessings, right? My blessings are things that I discovered on my own, particularly as the process of getting and staying sober developed over years, yeah. over time. And we don't need other people to define who and what we are. We are perfectly capable of defining ourselves for ourselves. Not that we don't learn a lot, which is one of the reasons I still go to these meetings, right? I mean, I often encounter the power of example to this day, 37 years later. I mean, yeah. the, the online meeting that 
you and I attend. I mean, there, there are members there that are going through things a lot more profound and a lot more significant as far as their human development goes than I am at the moment at my advanced state. You know, I, it's funny, I look at my wife sometimes and I say, well, sweetie, you know I'm not going to change. And she looks at me and says, yep, all right, uh, I know, she says. I mean, but uh, there, there are many people struggling to find themselves for themselves and defining themselves in the world. And I learn, I learn from them over and over and over again. Yeah, but yeah. not from one of their effing books. Okay. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, learning by example. I mean, and yeah, that inspiration that you get from. Oh them. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and then learning the same thing over and over again. I mean, let you know we got uh, alcoholics and addicts uh, are often uh, forgetful of where they uh, of where they came from. And how they got here. Well, I think humans. And, I, I wouldn't necessarily say just alcoholics. Uh, you know, humans are. Well, no humans, but <laughs> in our case, in the context of alcohol, if you know, I once got sober in 1985. I had a doctor scare the hell out of me, and I stayed sober for about nine months. Until one night, I went out with a woman whose uh, story with me was somewhat tangled, and she had thrown me out of her house the previous year, and which is, I ended up back down at DuPont Circle, where I started in Washington so many years before. But we were out at dinner, and she's a British lady, and she says, in her lilting British voice. Oh, I see they have a lovely bottle of white wine. Why don't we split it? And I said, sure. Okay. I didn't even think about it. All right. And that was like nine months. Early September 1985. To through December 1986, I went careening on a downhill path that I'd never experienced before. I ended up doing saying things, seeing things, and going places that I'd never gone before. And I've been a lot of different places, right? So I know firsthand what forgetting about the benefits of drinking can do to an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. If you forget, you're likely to pick up. Yeah, that's uh, one of the big main reasons why I keep coming back uh, to me. I mean, I, I, I need to be connected to other people that are thinking the same way I am about picking up that first drink and, and remembering what it was like. Um, you know, I mean, some of that stuff is 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 so haunting that I try to put it away. I, I, I try not to remember it. I mean, I put conscious effort into forgetting a lot of that stuff that happened when I really need to remember. I mean, it's important to keep that in mind that I, I know, I know what happens to me when I, 
when I go out and, uh, you know, cause I, this is my third attempt at sobriety this time. And the first two oh. times, so that's what it was. It was, it was just forgetting really. I, I, it, no, it can't happen here. It's not going to happen to me again. You know, that's no way. And uh, so, yeah, I, I appreciate, uh, talking to other recovering people as often as possible to remember and to, and to reaffirm, right. well, and reaffirm my desire to stay sober. Yeah, that's. I think for me at least, that part of the reason I think we decided to do this with a, you know, I had done a lot of podcasting before with my old friend John over at the Beyond Belief uh, podcast series. Uh, but when he ended that, there seemed to be a void out there in the, you know, in the marketplace of ideas for atheists and agnostics, which is, you know, why I decided and talk to you about starting this thing, which is uh, to maybe, you know, help continue to build a community of people who really are atheists, who are not going to compromise with religion, who are not going to compromise with that other program that we're not going to spend a lot of time bashing. Uh, But we will acknowledge that there are people that have a lot of problems with that because of the religious nature of it. And to be able to, you know, keep looking for new ways to sort of band together as a community so that we jointly can progress through sobriety with the help of others and through the example of others. We see that on the screen every week, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think Part of what what I what I'm concerned about is is removing the stigma of atheists. I mean, you know, we've we've talked so oh, much yeah. about the stigma of alcoholic and alcoholism, but there's a stigma of of atheists. I mean, I, when I first mentioned it, I, I mean, it was it was hard to speak to say the word out loud. You know, I mean, just because of all my upbringing and, and all my conditioning. So I, I think more and more people need to be become comfortable with the idea of expressing the, that they are an atheist and that it's okay to say that because it's still it's still tough. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm you know, I'm speaking from Terre Haute, Indiana, which is, you know, part of the, the uh, Bible Belt, of course, but. But it's it's everywhere. I mean, you know, the 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 uh, the, the meetings kind of re- repeat that aspect of it you know that that uh they don't want to no, I, I you know yeah it was the word just well, the it's, word. it's everywhere in society i mean i live in you know sort of left-wing bethesda maryland where yeah. you know i often talk about our wonderful congressman jamie raskin uh but just not three blocks from here across the street in chevy chase is a radical Roman Catholic Supreme Court justice who has a lot to say about how things happen in the United States. And we have to acknowledge for our friends overseas who are wondering, you know, these are two Americans talking here. We live in the United States of America, not Sweden, okay, or Denmark, or Finland, or Norway, or Germany, or other places where the word atheist is not uh, stigmatized, but that word in our country definitely is, and it's an ongoing issue 
for many people of the atheist persuasion to the point where atheists won't so identify. Many but atheists yeah, yeah. won't tell you. Right? Yeah, I mean, in, in the U.S., you know, we, 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 we like to brag about having freedom of speech, but that's total bullshit. There's, there's really not a well, lot of freedom of speech because there's a lot, of, a lot of things you simply cannot say in certain company. So I, for me, that's, that's not freedom. You know, I mean, I, I really wish it was, it was easier to talk about these things, you know, because uh, I, I don't know a lot of people that I can actually say I am an atheist to. And and that's a problem. Well, I mean, why should that be so difficult? Well, you know, I put the I put the pre announcement for this uh, uh, podcast up on my Facebook page, and uh, the only likes I got back from my friends were the people that I knew were of this persuasion. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I just did it as an experiment. I normally. Don't put up anything about recovery on my personal Facebook page. But I thought, well, what the hell? You know, what's what are they going to do to me? So I put it up, and it was interesting the level of responses I got back and who I got the responses from. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that even within the what I call the so-called sober AA community, there's still a lot of kowtowing and genuflecting and blessings and you know the sort of assumption that you have to do some sort of version of those 12 steps you've noticed that yeah michael i would have meant you know yeah yeah it's still constantly discussions about what version should i use yeah i mean (laughs) how about 37 years later no version yeah okay i mean and i i had a pretty successful 37 years well with a few you know it's like a you know just i finally have a good marriage but that's a different story but you know i a long you know, story you, too isn't it? well a long story <laughs> yeah 18 years but you know i had you uh, have any short stories john uh at this point uh no everything's a long story i'm a, i'm a poet that's <laughs> some of my even my yeah, poems short. are kind of long. Yeah, yeah. Well, so a couple of them are on the short side. But, oh. you know, yeah, I mean, short story. I mean, no, I've got a lot of, <laughs> I got, you know, I got a lot of bullshit stories. But, you know, but we're, we're in a lot of sober experience, but also a lot of experience with, sadly, seeing people that don't make it in this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big motivator for me is maybe, you know, if somebody's despairing about, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this, I could say, with all honesty, I didn't do any of that stuff. Except, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, make a decision about my drinking, go to meetings, share, understand abstinence, and you know, try to help others once in a while. But as far as all their finer points, I didn't do any of it, none of it, ever. It never made any sense to me. Now, if it here's a, here's a rub though, and I, I don't want any you know, if it makes sense to you, please do it. Don't listen to me. 
All right. Yeah, yeah, if something yeah. is making sense to you, don't stop doing it just because I said it doesn't make sense to me. But if that shit really isn't making sense to you, then you might want to give us a listen because we've got some things to say about it. Right? Yeah. And, you know, knowing that, that we've tried the other way. I mean, I, I, I know I tried. I, I went along with it thinking, you know, that there was no alternative. And, I, you know, it's, it, was such a, it was such a relief to finally just let go of that and, and be myself and, and well, recognize yeah. that I could do it without, without any of that belief stuff. Well, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, I have many friends in that program. And it wasn't until I had my epiphany in 2014 that I gave up going to those conventional groups altogether. Right? I used to go to a conventional noon meeting in downtown Washington, a wonderful place, the old AME church, very historic church, Frederick Douglass's church on M Street Northwest, between 15, very near the White House, a few blocks away. Really wonderful place and a very liberal place too, you know, very much politically aligned with myself. But even in that environment, I had to hear them talk about going to their step meeting on Wednesday, which I never went to, or going to their big book meeting on Thursday, which I never went to, and, you know, trying to close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer, which they finally stopped. But I sat there and listened to for years. So, you know, it's not like I, you know, was a rebel right from the beginning. I actually sat through that stuff for a long, long time until I came to the conclusion that I couldn't and wouldn't do it anymore. An excuse for um, turning against all that stuff because my first attempt at sobriety was uh, in New York City in 1987 and 88. And uh, the meetings that I found were, you know, in West Village. And, you know, it, it was not, it was not traditional in any sense in, uh, from, the, from my perspective now. It was much more of a social activity and it was the camaraderie and the fellowship that was focused. I, I we never, I never never remember ever saying the Lord's Prayer in any, any of those those meetings back then. And so I was kind of spoiled by that. So when I, I, I think back to why I've rejected that that uh, fundamentalism now, it's only partially because I had that initial experience that that fundamentalism wasn't necessary. All those people were staying sober without any of that stuff. So I, I had a good example from the very beginning that you can do it without all of that fundamentalist uh, religious stuff. Well, you know, Michael, why get sober to live somebody else's life? Why get sober to subscribe to somebody else's philosophy? Wouldn't the point of being sober to be to sort of understand and develop your own and go your own way on, by those lights? rather than somebody else's. Absolutely. I just, I couldn't see the point, you know? I mean, theology's theology, all right? You either buy it or you don't. Yeah. 
reality is reality. You either live in the present, in the here and now, in the real world, with the tangible elements of that world that you see and that you also have to deal with. I think being sober is so wonderful because despite all the horrors of the world, you're not living in a state of delusion. You're not walking around like a child believing in fairy tales. You're seeing the world as it is, and you're living with it. You're living in it, and you're not drinking because of it. And in its own tiny way, maybe we can do something to make it a little better, which I think maybe is one of the reasons we're we're here. We're going through this. Yeah, I mean, just uh, try to you know provide some some positive alternative, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, some a, a little affirmation of of right what right. we can right. do. Well, you. You can fulfill a, a you can fulfill a a good and meaningful life, and you know, at the end of it, instead of dying in a terrible alcoholic state, you can leave the world with some degree of equanimity, knowing that you did your best to make the contributions that you could despite our obvious imperfections. We need to learn to live with our imperfections. This crap about personality change that they propound is utterly and completely ridiculous. What I can do is modify my behavior if I find empirically that my behavior doesn't work. If something I'm doing doesn't work for my partner, doesn't work for my kids, doesn't work for my employer, I can modify that behavior. But they're not going to think I'm wonderful because all of a sudden I had a miraculous personality transformation that's ridiculous well yeah i mean there was certainly a a dramatic uh personality change with a a bottle of jack daniels so oh yeah that goes back to the jekyll and i yeah you know i mean i was in the icu in 22 and you know i came out of that for a couple of weeks completely whacked out seeing space aliens and conspiracies (laughs) and everything else because I was so, you know, my brain was so soaked with the chemicals they give you in the ICU. But, you know, fortunately, my brain cleared up, the fog lifted, and, uh, you know, the fantasies that had been induced by the chemicals in the ICU disappeared because there's a fundamental bedrock belief in reality underneath that's the deeper layer that you yeah get. yeah i remember being so proud of the fact that i had to have my stomach pumped to revive me and 
you know, it, it's, it's, it's an indication of just how far that delusion goes, you know, I mean, it, it, instead of, you know, uh, being ashamed, I was proud of it. I mean, I, I wore that like a badge, you know, like, like, uh, that, that was, that made me a better person. The fact that I went through that when, you know, I, I was just deluded and I was, I was hiding from myself. You know, so much of this, what we've, what we've learned in sobriety is, is just the golden rule, but the golden rule yeah. also applies to yourself. You know, I, 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 I think right. I need to apply it to myself right. as well as other people. I mean, you know, that uh, some of that fundamental stuff is natural law it has nothing to do yeah. with religion. All right. Not murdering people, not stealing from your employer that's all part of natural law okay that's what rational people do when they're thinking through life and their relations with others in a rational way it has nothing to do whatsoever with some thing that just doesn't exist right. living as an atheist is a liberation it's not a burden. And that's what that series of articles and podcasts will talk about. That some of the old ones I did and the new ones we've got coming up here going to go into. And I think yeah. we'll get to hear from some friends who have some ideas about this, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm very hopeful about it. Now, you know, we can't change the fact that we're two old white guys and and I <laughs> apologize to the listeners for that but at least we got to be old yeah there's something we said for surviving you know uh yeah right right you know and you know I had an old friend of mine die a couple of years back dear dear friend of mine passed away a couple of a few years older than me in Thailand, where he had uh, lived as an expat for many years after leaving the United States. But we were old, dear friends from the 70s. I visited him in various spots where he was, like Japan and other places over the years. Great, great guy. But age 76, seeing him in, I mean, you gotta, you gotta really screw up to spend a million dollars in Thailand. Okay, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to spend a million dollars having fun in Thailand. I mean, got, you really gotta screw up. Okay, but he had gone through the better part, almost all of his million bucks, and ended up dying in a charity hospital in Thailand in a very, very bad way great wonderful person who did not listen to the message that people desperately tried to communicate to him along the way about his drinking i mean the stakes for us couldn't be higher and you know in our own way trying to be of assistance to people that are struggling with their reality as alcoholics and addicts, that's that's pretty good, I think. If we can make that attempt, at least. 
you know, I mean, yeah, the people that listen to this are either going to, you know, it's either going to resonate for them or it won't. But I think we're going to make some attempts at getting there for folks. And, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about what we're going to do the next weeks and months. Um, I've got a couple of episodes. I'm going to be posting some of my old podcast stuff on the page for this podcast that'll take people back to that old Beyond Belief sobriety page. Uh, I'll post some links on that to get some continuity there. But I've got a couple of episodes in mind where you're going to be interrogating me, hopefully, on some of these ideas that I've come up with. I look forward to that. And uh, we've got the next one that's going to come up is going to be called Atheism and Sobriety. It's episode. It's the fourth episode of that series that never got completed over on Beyond Belief. But it's going to be called Intuition and the Importance of the Individual to the Atheist in Sobriety. I believe that, you know, we sort of develop an intuitive sense that may be somewhat heightened by our own atheism that allows us to navigate the world. Then after that, I was sitting in my favorite Starbucks scratching out the episode after that, and it was like the last one in that series that I did. It was the fifth one. It's called Atheism as Affirmation. I firmly believe that atheists and atheism is an affirmative, not a negative way to live. There you go. Yeah. We're often cast as being totally negative well, in yeah. our tone yeah. and in our affect. And that ain't so. Well, we're raised to believe if you're so if we're you gonna don't go into believe, you are evil. And if you don't believe, you're gonna get drunk. I mean, those are those are the established traditions. So we're you know, we're trying to fight that. No, 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 no. we're not we're not evil I, and yeah. we're not drunk. Yeah. No, you're not evil. And you're only gonna get drunk and you're only gonna use if you forget about that decision you made and you pick up and you do it. All right? Yeah. I you know, I'm the my age, I'm the proud possessor of a couple of chronic conditions other than alcohol, which I haven't had a drink of in a long, long time. But of all the chronic conditions I'm familiar with, the only one that can be absolutely cured and permanently treated is the condition of alcoholism and addiction which can be permanently treated through abstinence. Yeah, it's pretty simple. Yeah. It works 100%, yeah. 100% of the time. That's mm -hmm. amazing. How many things in life work 100% of the time, Michael? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so maybe what we're trying to do is to get to the point where uh, – we're going to be able to talk to people a little bit about the hope that's inherent in that word and how you get there and how you stay there 
as an atheist. What do you think you want to do these next weeks and months? I've sort of outlined a little bit about what I want. What are some of your ideas? Yeah, I'm just, you know, really want to promote the, the, the positive affirmation of, of being an atheist and, and that it's, that it's okay. Uh, yeah, we're still fighting against a huge, it's okay. huge it's okay. tradition, you know? So it's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I just want, and I want people to be able to talk about it and, and to openly at least, you know, look at it as a, as a possibility instead of just going right. along and- blindly um, mimicking what you're supposed to do and what you're supposed to say, just uh, recognize who you are and, and that you're okay if you don't believe, you know, I mean, that's, that's okay. Right. And, and you don't have to apologize to yeah. anyone for anything about what you sincerely as a human being believe. Right. It's none of their business. But we you know, don't it, it can be threatening. Engage. It can be threatening, and that's that's part of the problem. You know, uh, well, uh, being I, a non-believer I, is 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 kind I, of a threat to the people who do believe. Yeah, you yeah know? that's and, too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. All right. I mean, I just, I, yeah. I, you know, here here's the thing. Oh, yeah, we can make a final declaration before our time is up on this episode. I'm not a Bolshevik. Are you a Bolshevik, Mike? <laughs> no. I don't think you're a Bolshevik. You're not a Satanist. You're not a Bolshevik. Uh, Bolsheviks, uh, I lived in Russia for five years, and I saw a lot of churches that were sort of impacted by Bolshevism. And uh, the one by the Moscow River that Putin uh, rebuilt, uh, Christ the Savior, whatever it's called, very near the Kremlin giant place, it was completely blown up by the Bolsheviks. In 1933, with dynamite and TNT, they just blew it up. And Putin rebuilt it, and uh, he formed a close partnership with the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, wow. It, it, we're That's not clever. in the business That's very clever. of. Uh, very clever of him. But uh, we're not in the business of blowing up anybody's church. Your churches are safe, brothers and sisters and your beliefs are safe yeah we don't want to impact your belief if you sincerely hold it that's your right you know that's your natural right your human right but nobody's going to take our natural human rights away are they mike no you can uh, believe if you want Oh, and, and uh, as long as you stay sober, I think that's fine. Um, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. But we're we're sober without believing any of that stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah. that's the you know basically what the sober atheist podcast is about. Okay, that you can stay sober in a useful and productive way without any of that stuff. And yeah. I think maybe we've come to the end of our time for this hour and we'll just wish everybody well and hope that you tune in again to us and if it was too much or you didn't like it or whatever that's okay but you know if you see an episode in the future that you might like come back Uh, but we hope that maybe a little of what we had to say 
resonated for uh, at least some of you, which is all we can do is make a honest attempt, right, Michael? Sure. And I'm open to any positive, uh, constructive criticism. We'll be more than happy to accept constructive criticism. Uh, but please keep the hate mail to yourself <laughs> if you can. Let's hope we don't have any of those issues, but who knows? But, you know, to end on a positive note, we've had useful and productive lives and sobriety within the context of being atheists. And yeah. that's what we want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll say goodbye for now, right, Michael? Yeah, yeah. Peace and love. Say, I'll say goodbye. Peace goodbye, and love. Peace. peace and love. That's all I want. We'll see you soon. Yep, peace and love. Absolutely. Absolutely.